Hey everyone, welcome to the 14th episode of the Analyze and Educate News Roundup. This is for last week, July 26th until August 1st. It is just about 3.30 here in Northern California. It's a beautiful day outside. Um, a lot, a decent amount going on this week. Uh, of course, before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop, home of the Thules, the tactical handbook for unit leaders. That's available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. And with all that being said, let's get started. And of course, we'll start off with the uh, COVID-19 numbers and news. So the week began with 16,048,000 cases, 644,000 deaths, and 9,262,000 recoveries. And the week ended with 19,853,000 cases, 685,000 deaths, and 10,560,000 recoveries. And of course, those are global numbers. On the 26th, Da Nang became the first city in Vietnam to reimpose social distancing measures after four local infections were reported for the first time in three months. Next day on the 27th, National Security Advisor to President Trump, Robert O'Brien, tested positive for the virus. Also on the 27th, the capital of Papua New Guinea, Port Mosby, ordered the city to be locked down for two weeks after a spike in new cases. On August 1st, California became the first U.S. state to reach 500,000 cases. Assuming the state's population is 40 million, that would equate to roughly 1.3% of Californians contracting the virus. Again, that's not the case. I'm sure there's, you know, uh, people that have tested positive twice. It's just giving a little bit of context. Also on the 1st, Okinawa declared a state of emergency, excuse me, for two weeks after a, quote, explosive spread of new cases. And lastly, on the 1st, again, the Russian Health Ministry announced their plans for mass vaccination in October. According to Health Minister Mikhail Morishko, the vaccine has completed clinical trials and the vaccine will be free of charge when provided. So, uh... Uh, I don't know, take that with a grain of salt, but yeah, think of that info, what you what you will. Moving on to Africa, on the 27th, according to the United Nations, some 500 gunmen attacked the uh, Masalit community in Darfur, Sudan. The gunmen looted and burned homes while killing around 60 civilians in the community. The Masalit are an ethnic group that inhabit inhabit, excuse me, eastern Chad and western Sudan. In 2011, they numbered about 350,000 in Sudan alone. This comes after armed men killed 20 civilians in an attack last week, children among the dead, sadly. On the 28th, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the Allied Democratic Forces, ADF, attacked the Congolese army inside the Virunga National Park, killing at least seven soldiers. And also on the 30th, the ADF attacked the village of Mutido, killing six people. Uh, The Virunga National Park, it sounds very familiar. I'm sure I've done a few stories on that. Um, Probably not a place you want to go on vacation, for sure. On the 30th, in Cameroon, security operations against English-speaking separatist groups left two civilians dead. Also on the 30th, going back to the DRC, a soldier went on a drunken rampage and killed 12 people and injured another nine. Soldier still on the run as of right now. Moving on to the Middle East, 
on the 26th, a bombing at a market in the Turkish-held town of Rasaline in Syria killed at least eight and wounded another 19. Turkey blames Kurdish insurgents. No group has claimed responsibility, however. I will say, personally, this is pretty... Um, it just does not fit the... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you want to say. MO or... It just does not fit uh, Kurdish insurgent groups. This isn't the sort of things they do. You know, of course, they attack Turkish troops and Turkish proxies all the time, but they're they're not really known for killing civilians in this way. Um, could have been an ISIS cell, maybe another group, who knows? We have no idea at this point. Also on the 26th, the Taliban accused the Afghan government of recapturing recently released prisoners. Government denied this claim, and this can greatly damage the already fragile peace process that uh, we will go into a bit later. On the 27th, on the Israel-Lebanon border, four Hezbollah fighters attempted to infiltrate Israel but were forced back after the Israeli Defense Forces opened fire on them. There were also reports that Hezbollah forces hit an Israeli tank with an anti-tank guided missile, a claim that the IDF has since denied. This comes after Israeli troops are reinforced and placed on high alert on the border with Lebanon. And uh, this was in anticipation of Hezbollah attacks after an IDF airstrike in Syria recently killed a fighter from the group. Also on the 27th, in Tahrir Square, Baghdad, Iraq, protesters were fired upon by security forces with live ammunition and tear gas canisters. The protests were marching against increased power shutoffs during a current heat wave that has sent temperatures above 122 degrees. At least two protesters were killed and dozens of others were injured. Prime Minister Mustafa Al-Kadimi has condemned the killings and ordered an investigation into them. On the 31st, the Afghan government accused the Pakistani military of killing 15 civilians during clashes at a border crossing. Pakistan claimed that seven civilians were killed on their side when Afghan forces opened fire into a crowd waiting to cross the border. According to civilians in the area, however, Pakistani forces did fire first. Afghanistan warned that there will be consequences if Pakistan continues with rocket attacks into the country. On the 31st, the Afghan government and the Taliban began a three-day ceasefire to start a round of peace talks. President Ashraf Ghani ordered the release of 500 Taliban prisoners as a show of good faith, so uh, hopefully they're making progress. Still too early to tell. On the 1st, Iran announced that it has detained Jamshid Sharamad, the uh, quote ringleader of the Tondar group. The Tondar group, or the Kingdom of Assembly of Iran is a Los Angeles-based organization that seeks to overthrow the Islamic Republic and restore the former Iranian monarchy. Iranian intelligence linked Shamad to a 2008 bombing of a mosque in the city of Shiraz that led to the deaths of 14 people and injured 202 others. According to the Jamestown Foundation, Tondar claimed responsibility for that attack, and according to Iranian intelligence, the group is also backed by the United States. It is worth noting that the group is not designated as a terrorist organization by the U.S. With that being said, we will take a quick break. We'll finish it off with Europe, the Americas, and Asia as well.
All right, everyone, we're back. Moving on to Europe. On the 26th, the ceasefire between Ukraine and Russian-backed separatists went into effect. The six-year conflict has led to the deaths of over 14,000 people total. There are fears that the ceasefire will not last due to constant violations of past ceasefire agreements, and Ukraine accused separatist forces of violating that ceasefire just hours after it went into effect. So more of the same for Ukraine. On the 27th, ceasefire violations between Armenia and Azerbaijan continued nightly. Uh, they have been for, uh, you know, the past week, um, ever since we started covering this, ceasefire violations haven't stopped every day. On the 27th, an Armenian soldier was shot dead by an Azeri sniper. Um, so, yeah, that's not going to slow down anytime soon. On the 28th, German security forces arrested a woman for traveling to Syria in order to join ISIS and her brother-in-law for assisting her. Uh, Fadia S. traveled to Syria in 2015 to join her husband in Raqqa, who was an ISIS fighter at the time. Uh, Rabi O. is accused of helping her travel to Syria. That's her brother-in-law. As the caliphate fell, Fadia and her four children fled to Turkey and came back to Germany in 2018. So this is going to keep being a problem for uh, especially Western countries as uh, foreign ISIS fighters, the ones that survived and didn't get captured, and their families make it back to their home countries. Um, this is going to be an issue for quite a while. On the 29th, this is a bigger story uh, than I thought it would be. Um, but, you know, after I initially typed up some notes, I did some more digging into it, and this is uh, really interesting and, again, a bigger story than I thought it would be. On the 29th in Belarus, the Belarusian KGB, yep, they still call their state security service the KGB, uh, KGB's alpha group and a special purpose mobile unit, otherwise known by its Russian acronym OMON, arrested 32 members of the Russian private military company Wagner Group. And if you guys have been listening to this, you know that we've talked about the Wagner Group uh, a lot. It almost seems like I talk about them every week. Right. Pretty important player. Authorities claim that they were made aware of some 200 mercenaries with Wagner entering the country to, quote, destabilize it just days before the presidential election. According to Alexander Aslin, an independent military expert based in Minsk, uh, Belarus has long been an avenue for Russia to deploy forces abroad. Um, and this is uh, something that everyone who's aware of the situation kind of knows the president. Uh, the president is good friends with Vladimir Putin, and um, you know Belarus has been a very important avenue for Russia to deploy special forces and private military companies for uh, operations abroad. Um, operations that require uh, a certain level of discreetness. I don't know if discreetness is a word, but you know what I mean. Uh, there's some speculation that President Lukashenko ordered the operation to show that he is standing up to Russia right before the election, which isn't looking too well in his favor, by the way. Again, he's a good friend of Putin. According to Ukrainian site Marotov... I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this. Marotovitz, which tracks those that have fought in Ukraine on the side of Russian separatists, 16 of those Russian uh, Wagner Group employees that were detained also fought in the Donbass conflict. 
the Russian newspaper Komarasant published info on three of these fighters. We have their names. I'm going to butcher these. Uh, Foyador Mikhailovich Sergev. He is from Astrakhan. Previously served in Russia's internal troops. Takir Minigayonovich uh, Bakadi Garayev. That's his full name. Reportedly served as a driver slash mechanic with uh, Wagner Group's Fourth Reconnaissance and Assault Company before whatever assignment he's going on to now. Andrei Petrovich Bakayunovic is a dual Belarusian Russian citizen. He served as a sniper at the 201st military base in Tajikistan, and after that he commanded a group of snipers with the Wagner Group. It also appears that none of these men were armed, which raises further doubt that they were in Belarus to actually cause trouble. Another explanation could be that these men were well-needed reinforcements for a battle within the Libyan city of Sirte that a lot of people fear is only around the corner. Additionally, Sudanese currency was found among their items, so they may have been traveling to Sudan um, and then from Sudan cross into Libya, you know, via convoy, something like that. According to the Investigative Committee of Belarus, 11 of the men said they were flying to Venezuela. We've spoken about that a little bit before. 15 of them said they were going to Turkey, two to Cuba, and one to Syria. Ukraine's foreign... Sorry. Ugh. I'm sorry. Ukraine's former foreign minister, Pavlo Klimakin, said that Ukraine should request extradition for any fighters that fought in the Donbass in order to face trial. He also said that a prisoner swap uh, between Russia and Ukraine could be ideal. Russian author Zakhar Pripilian, who often discusses his time fighting as a separatist in the Donbass, stated that some of the men that were recently detained fought as part of the same volunteer battalion that he was in when he was in Ukraine. Again, bigger story than I thought it would be, but, you know, never info I could get out there. On the first, an agreement was reached between the U.S. and Poland regarding some of the uh, permanent deployments of U.S. troops to the country. The garrison will include drones, helicopters, and an armored battalion. Not battalion, I'm sorry. Armored Brigade Combat Team. Sorry, I'm not Army. Still kind of getting used to the acronyms. And a Special Forces contingent as well. The garrison will include a new command element specifically for the garrison and a new training center as well. So I think, uh, I think I've touched on that a little bit. Um, for those who don't know, there's a good troop withdrawal happening in Germany. Um, and it looks like a lot of those guys are either going to A, uh, come back to the U.S. and get garrisoned at, you know, different bases here. Um, and it sounds like some of them will be going to Ukraine when this all, I'm sorry, not Ukraine, will be going to Poland when this all gets set up. Moving on to Asia on the 29th, in the state of Manipur, India, three soldiers with the Assam rifles were killed and six were wounded in an ambush near the India-Myanmar border. It appears that the attack was claimed by the Manipur Naga People's Front, the United Liberation Front for Assam Independent, and the People's Liberation Army of Manipur jointly. The attack was carried out with some sort of explosive targeting a vehicle and then subsequent small arms fire. The Assam Rifles are India's oldest paramilitary force. Founded in 1835, they typically run an annual budget of $849.9 million. 
On the 30th, tensions with India and China are still high. Uh, India is expected to receive 24 MH60 Romeo helicopters by the end of the year from the United States. The MH60 Romeo is used as a submarine hunter and will be used by India to track Chinese submarines in the area. On the first Indian news outlet, the Hindustan Times reported that China has mobilized a battalion-sized unit of ground forces from the People's Liberation Army near the Lipulek Pass along the line of actual control. So China and India, neither of them are backing down. And moving back a bit, on the 31st, ceasefire violations by Pakistan killed an Indian soldier near the Poonch sector of the border. Sepoy Rohan Kumar, 24 years old, was critically injured and later died of his wounds. So, um, yeah, India's India is definitely going to be ramping up its military budget along with procurement and maybe even um, form some sort of friendly ties or an alliance with us. Uh, so be on the lookout for that in the near future. And we'll finish it off here in the U.S. Um, on the 30th, off the coast of Camp Pendleton, California, a Marine Corps amphibious assault vehicle belonging to the 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit took on water during a training exercise. Of the 16 personnel in the AAV, eight Marines were rescued, of which two are still in critical condition as of right now, which is the 4th. The other six have returned to the unit, which is good. Search and rescue operations in coordination with the Navy and Coast Guard were underway until Saturday evening, at which point the eight missing servicemen that were not recovered from that AAV uh, were declared deceased, and their bodies have since been found. Um, God. Private First Class Brian J. Alteria, 19 years old, of Corona, California, rifleman. Private First Class Evan A. Bath, 19, of Oak Creek, Wisconsin, rifleman. Private First Class Jack Ryan Ostrovsky, 21, of Bend, Oregon, rifleman. Lance Corporal Chase D. Sweetwood, 19, of Portland, Oregon, rifleman. Lance Corporal Guillermo S. Perez, 20, New Braunfels, Texas, rifleman. Lance Corporal Marco A. Barranco, 21, of Montebello, California, Rifleman. Corporal Cesar A. Villanueva, 21, of Riverside, California, Rifleman. Corporal Wesley A. Rod, 23, of Harris, Texas, Rifleman. And Hospitalman Christopher Nem, 22, of Stockton, California, Hospital Corpsman. And... All of those gentlemen are from 1st Battalion, 4th Marines, 1st Marine Division. So, obviously, my thoughts and prayers go out to uh, not only them, but their families. For those of you that are following me on Instagram, I assume that's most of you. You've probably seen me share links to various GoFundMes for uh, their funerals, for travel costs, for their family um, including GoFundMes for uh, the two that are still in critical condition, their families, you know, have some expenses if they want to come out, um, you know, and see their Marines. So 
if you have noticed that, I, I hope you guys donated if you are in a position to. If you did, really appreciate it. Um, if you haven't noticed me, share those links. Um, go to DD214 Memes. Uh, I think he his post is the one that I shared, so you could find all of those GoFundMes in the link in his bio. I believe Goons Up also shared a couple of those, um, and those are in his bio as well. If you have trouble finding them, let me know. I'll get you to the right place. And all AAV waterborne training has been suspended, and every AAV in the fleet will be inspected, and that is by order of the Commandant of the Marine Corps. And with that being said, that's all I got for you guys this week. Really appreciate you listening. Appreciate all the support. Of course, you could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate, all one word. That's the handle. You can find this podcast anywhere, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Breaker, Anchor, anywhere you find podcasts, you could find this. And yeah, we'll see you guys next week.